Have you ever considered the irony of a law requiring us to love? Is such a thing even possible? Welcome to Episode 19 of What We Believe in Why with pastor, author, and teacher Dr. George Byron Koch. Our discussion of covenant living continues to look further into the Ten Commandments and their implications to us in our faith walks today. Here's George. When we left off last time, Moses had just read the covenant scroll to the people. This is from Exodus 24, 7. Here's what it says. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. And remember, as I said, the Hebrew behind this verse is really extraordinary. It actually says this, literally, Yahweh, we shall do and we shall listen. And the Jewish tradition here is, again, quite extraordinary. Here's how the rabbis interpret this word sequence. It is, God, we are willing to be obedient even before we hear what you require of us. This is an extraordinary thing. We are willing to be obedient even before we hear what you require of us. Nachmanides, the great Jewish scholar, also noted that the Ten Commandments are addressed to the individuals in the second person singular, hence to each and every person, not to a generalized plural you, but rather you, singular. And so it's thus incumbent on each and every one of us, personally and individually, to obey these commandments. Ibn Ezra, another Jewish sage, points out the first commandment doesn't have God describe himself as the creator of the universe because no one was there to witness it other than God. Instead, he describes himself as your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, because this was witnessed by generations perhaps more than a million Jews who left Egypt in the Exodus with Moses. And it thus shows that their Lord is a personal God, not a distant concept or a force, but a personal God who is with his people in their lives and in their times of need. In other words, Moses didn't free the Israelites. Pharaoh didn't free them. They didn't free themselves. It didn't happen by chance. God was there and freed them. And just so, he is here and frees us when we call on him. In doing so, we are not agreeing to propositions, but are living in God's presence. The second commandment. God not only declares that he is Lord and God, he also makes it clear that nothing else is He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. 
This second commandment is of enormous importance in understanding the centerpiece of both the Old and New Testament teachings, righteousness, and law. Fundamentally, it calls for our full attention and devotion to the one and only God and explicitly tells us not to give honor or attention to anything else. Now, this is true in obvious ways. We shouldn't make gods out of wood or stone and worship them. But it is also true in the wayward ways of our minds and hearts. We should not worship idols, nor should we worship God by participating in pagan rites, claiming they all point to the same God anyway. Doing so could confuse anyone watching and could lead others to think that other gods do exist. Rabbinic law was so strong on this point that bending down to pull a thorn from your foot was prohibited if you were near an idol, lest it look like you were bowing down to or worshiping it. Maimonides, yet another Jewish sage, makes the point that making an image of God, such as a statue, violates the doctrine that God is one and that God is all spirit. He has no physical body. And perhaps one of the most interesting Jewish commentators on this topic is the Rebbe of Kotsk, also called the Kotsker Rebbe, who says that the prohibition against idolatry extends to making an idol out of the commandments, worshiping the map instead of using it for direction. The purpose of the commandments is not just in the doing, that is the actions, recall what James said, but also in the attitude of the heart, the faith, devotion, and spirit with which the commandment is fulfilled, which of course sounds just like Paul. The Talmud, the Jewish commentary on scripture, says that the fulfillment of the second commandment is so foundational that it is the equivalent of fulfilling the whole Torah. Jesus makes a similar kind of foundational statement when he says all the law and the prophets rest on two commands, to love God and to love one's neighbor as oneself. This form of expression, all things depend on one thing, is an ancient way of highlighting something's importance. It's sort of the equivalent of boldface in typography or yellow highlighting. All things depend on one thing. That form of expression highlights something really important. And then following the giving of the Ten Commandments, there is this exhortation. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
This passage is the first part of what in Judaism is called the Shema, from the Hebrew imperative here, Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Jesus quotes the first two sentences of this and says it is the most important commandment. Rabbi Isaacs observes that the love for God is one of the first instances in human history that such a commandment was demanded in any religion. And he makes three other key observations. First, the best expression of love for God occurs when people conduct themselves in such a manner as to make God beloved by others. Extraordinary. Secondly, Hosea, Jeremiah, and Isaiah saw God and the Israelites in a love relationship where God metaphorically was portrayed as the groom and the people of Israel as God's bride. That reminds us of the church as the bride of Christ. And then third, love of God can be done everywhere and anywhere, wherever the opportunity for performing the commandments exists. And remember this quote from Ram Chal, which reinforces this point. Whoever sees God always before him and is exclusively concerned with doing God's pleasure and observing God's commandments will be called God's lover. The love of God is, therefore, not a separate commandment, but an underlying principle of all of God's commandments. That from Ram Chal. Deuteronomy 10 concludes this way, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Look, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love. And he chose you, their descendants, above all other nations, as is evident today. Therefore, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God, who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. We'll finish this and look even more deeply again into the commandments when we come back in just a moment. Deuteronomy 10 bringing us to our midpoint break today and a chance to remind you that there are resources available at whatwebelieveandwhy.com. You can, of course, get the book there in ebook, audio, paperback format, but there are also study guides available. We encourage you to stop by the site and see if there might be something to help you in your faith walk. Back in a moment 